and we're on. Hello, everyone. This is uh, James Chang, part of the several t- podcasts here, Serenity, also Wisdom No podcast. And today we're doing something special. We have a guest that I've known uh, in the area. Uh, his name is Steve Garrett. And I met him through a mutual friend. Is that how we met? Mm-hmm. A mutual friend who yes. is in the organization, organizational development space that um, I didn't even know existed before he even called professionally. And so when I met Steve, um, he actually educated me on this industry and actually has been doing it for quite a number of years, over 30, 35 years. And um, he owns his own business. He's an entrepreneur. He's a solopreneur uh, working on his own for quite a while. And I thought it'd be interesting to learn a little bit about um basically what he's learned being on his own in the organizational development space, but also um, some lessons learned and maybe some advice they can give other people. So, Steve, maybe you can give an introduction to yourself and a little bit about your background. Sure. Thanks, James. Fun fun chance to get to do this. It's first first time for me on a podcast. So yeah, welcome. Learning for me, too, at any rate. So I, uh, I live in the city of Chicago, have been here for 35-plus years, Came here out of graduate school and made, made a career change to get into the world of, at first, corporate HR, and then eventually left uh, a big organization and went out on my own in my own consulting practice. And that's the one that now has been 30-plus years that I'm sure we'll be spending most of our time talking about today. But the, you know, the change from corporate HR out into private practice was one big change, and Four years earlier than that, I changed from a first career in public accounting to go back to grad school and change careers into HR. So two major changes along the way, which always have an impact on how I see the world and how I think about careers and what I try to do to pass on what I learned to others. Now, that's interesting. You you started in accounting, you said, but then it moved on to HR. Like, What was the <laughs> kind of idea? This seems like a totally two different skill sets here. Well, and exactly what you what you just said was the reaction you know, of interviewers when I was in graduate school and was was uh, you know trying to trying to talk about HR roles. And the very first question would usually be, "HR, accounting, explain that." <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you can explain left, it. Left, what? Left and why right did brain. you decide to go with HR? Yeah, it seems like two different, like you know, technical versus yep. maybe soft skills. Yep. So, <clears throat> I think. It's something that I've realized later and as the years have gone on that it's actually a strength of mine that mm-hmm. I have both elements of left brain and right brain in my makeup, which made that kind of a switch possible. But what I mean by that is, yes, I have do have some of the attention to detail and in topics that I care about a technical focus. But what I started to realize as I was an auditor in public accounting and was out at client sites and working with young staff is the stuff I really caught my attention and that I most enjoyed were things having to do with client relations. What does it take to build trust with clients? Because they always distrust the auditor. And I used to spend a lot of time strategizing how to connect with different client people to kind of get the cooperation that you needed to get. Um, I also began to enjoy supervising, training, evaluating, coaching young staff who would begin to report to me on engagements. And ever since the beginning, I had been involved in recruiting for the firm and just bringing in new talent. And there was a time where I went to the partner in charge of HR and said, would you mind talking to me? Something's not quite clicking for me in the business. He said, sure, let's go have a beer. 
which I always appreciated. It was a nice touch. Mm -hmm. And we went out, and he asked me a question that was a basic question, but I didn't see it coming, and it really surprised me. And it was, what have you most enjoyed doing in your time with us so far? I was about four years in to public accounting. And <coughs> so I, I thought about it for a minute, and then I reeled off the things I just said to you. Mm -hmm. You know, client relations, staff development, Recruiting, I said it, you know, not quite those quick words, but I described, and I, and then I stopped and realized, wait a minute, what did I just say? All the stuff I enjoy was only supposed to be about twenty percent of my time. Mm. The eighty percent, the technical, I, I could do it. There's parts of it that were enjoyable, but it didn't make my top three or four or five list. Now, walk me back a little bit. Like, why did you choose before we went into HR and organizational development? Like, why did you choose accounting? And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know, they started out maybe an undergrad, they just taught a technical skill, but then they, do you think it's like, would, would that be the way to go to move over to HR? So tell me a little bit about that. I would say the reasons for picking that, I grew up in a pretty, pretty traditional house. Um, I, I have always had a great, um, predisposition to try to plan and organize things and you know paying attention to what's happening and how is it happening and is it organized and well set up so the profession of accounting appealed to me from that point of view because mm. you need those traits mm -hmm. in accounting but I what I think I was pretty good at doing up to a point but eventually realized it just didn't really get my heart going hmm. was the detail focus on all the numbers and the dollars and the financial impact and I just started realizing how much I actually cared about people impact and how people reacted to things and it's just a gradual realization which is why I, I actually appreciate having that job as an auditor because mm. it's not just sitting in the back room. you got to be out relating to clients in order to do that work. Mm. So it gave me a chance to realize the stuff I truly enjoy is, you know, now I would say more on the right brain side, even though I have that left brain or order and organization. It will always be part of me. I never, didn't lose that. How many years were you doing the auditor and accounting? Before four, four years four in years. accounting. Okay. Two years back to grad school, MBA concentration, human resources. Oh, so you, you decide once you realize after having that beer with your boss and, you know, yep. you realize, hey, maybe I want to, you want to focus more on the HR stuff. So you went back to school. I, I figured knowing the image of accounting versus HR, mm -hmm. most people were going to have a hard time believing somebody could effectively be both. So I figured I got to get some new stamp of approval on my qualifications. Okay. And a degree with an a, with HR in the title so mm. felt like a smart thing to do. And so now going through schooling, a lot of people have maybe, you know, nowadays have maybe a a suspicion with um with HR uh, going to school, but mm -hmm. do you think that was worth well worth your time to go again an MBA with focus on HR or would you have <coughs> done it again if you had to do it again? You know, the dilemma I had at the time was you know, MBA is a is kind of a broad business focus. And there was a concentration mm -hmm. in human resources, but that's not huge. Mm -hmm. So that was the broad business focus versus I, I considered a master of science in organization development at the time, which okay. would have been going deep mm -hmm. in that world. And, you know, it was some trade-offs, I thought. And there wasn't one right answer. And I, I chose the broad business focus. Okay. You know, there are times when I've regretted that, when if, if I were, were a little deeper in OD, mm -hmm. it have, has helped. But I also got to say, it has helped immensely 
as an HR consultant to have that broad business focus and understand the technical side. Mm -hmm. I can talk to people that are in that arena, mm -hmm. speak some of the language. Mm -hmm. And so it's really helped me be a, a, you know, I think a better consultant to have okay. that broad business. So a, a vote towards an MBA to give you kind of a broad focus of business, not so focused on one I aspect. think I probably could have been okay doing it either way. Mm, okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the way I, the way I chose. And, and you said OD, organizational development is short for OD or OD is short for organizational Correct. development. So for, for those that don't know. Yeah. In fact, let me, let me explain that a minute. Yeah, you, please. I was going to ask calling you. me as being mm -hmm. in the OD field. And then yep. broadly speaking, I agree. Mm -hmm. I am. But organization development is such a broad term. Yep. And I was going to ask you, maybe explain what is organizational development and what does that encompass for people who don't know? It, it encompasses a huge variety of collections of methods for getting organizations to develop their workforce and their culture to support their business goals. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different ways to go about that. And one of the things I realized early on is that you kind of, I mean, you can end up doing some of both of these, what I'm about to say, but it, it's good to know your own focus. And that yeah. is, do you focus at the organizational level on broad programs and processes that will help build and reform the culture? Or do you focus at the individual development level? Good point. And you know that both of them are important. Mm -hmm. And I think as time went on, I started to realize my focus in my passion and my comfort level is probably more at the individual level. Okay. I can think. I'm a pretty good systems thinker, mm -hmm. but I really enjoy the individual impact on people. Okay. So while I would say broadly I'm in the OD field, mm -hmm. more of my time and focus has been in what I've come around to call the learning and development side of organization. Which usually falls under HR, you say, learning, development, training, I guess. Would that be education? Yep. Is that? Yep. Okay. Training, employee development, coaching, mm -hmm. uh, all those things. And that's probably where I've spent the most most of my consulting career. Is that something that you specifically settled on or is that just something as you gone through the, the industry, as you kind of worked through your career, you said, okay, this is what I prefer or that's what people were asking for? Let's see. How do I answer that? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Both. Yeah. Both. Okay. <laughs> and because I think people are like, when they switch careers, especially something from a technical side or something we've previously had did an engineering degree and they decide they want to go into more HR learning development, mm -hmm. like, it's such a broad category. How do they decide what to choose, or do they just kind of go in there with both feet in and they'll figure it out as they come along? What do you What well, do you think? <coughs> excuse me. Let me um, relate a, a little. I don't know, not quite a story or vignette, but an example yeah. that I've often used when I'm trying to explain to people what it takes to change careers. You know, I I went back to grad school to get a degree with HR in it. I was able to put on my resume that I'd been quite involved in recruiting and public accounting, mm -hmm. and I and I chose a program where I could get a job as a as a career counselor in the business placement office at the, at the grad school that I was attending. Yep. Uh, all I had all that, <clears throat> but I still got that question in an interview: accounting to HR, right? And what it really took was getting down into the guts of my everyday work as an auditor and picking out things that really weren't that different from HR, which most people would think there isn't anything. Mm -hmm. But when I started telling recruiters about what it was like to do all those um, client in, client interviews and mm -hmm. try to build trust and strategize what it takes to connect with people, 
when I talked about what it takes to really bring up young staff, help t teach and coach them, mm -hmm. give them evaluations, and make sure that they're as comfortable as possible with learning. Mm -hmm. And when I talked about all the recruiting uh, efforts I made, both in it on campus and giving presentations, you could see almost like the dawn of realization in the interviewer's eyes. It's like, wow, I guess it isn't that different. Mm. Down at the guts of it every day. Is this something you realized during your career or something when you, after you graduated from your MBA, you decided, wow, I actually am more focused on these things that are passion. Like how much was there some sort of self-awareness involved in there? Or is that something that just came to you? I mean, you know, the, I mean, I, I was starting to realize stuff I enjoyed, but that, that time out for a beer with the HR partner, when he asked mm -hmm. me and I told him all the stuff that mattered to me and realized, wow, I just, what I just said, mm. if I'm serious about it, I got to act on this. Mm. <laughs> so you mean immediately when you discover that you decide, okay, I'm going to move and transition, leave the firm or leave the, the job and go right into implied for an Well, interview. I wouldn't quite simplify it to that extent okay. because I, I had a lot of self-doubts. Like, mm. I, I see this. I, I think I might need to do something about this, but that would mean leaving my career behind. Right. I chose a technical career. Mm -hmm. I'm with one of the best firms in the world. Mm -hmm. Do I just throw that away? Mm -hmm. I struggled a lot yeah. with so, that. I think a lot of people would struggle the same way, leaving the safety and security of a nice firm, uh, well-branded firm, and, and to do, go on their own. So what finally, how long did it take you? Well, I would you also say, yeah, and when you say it that way, it makes it sound simpler than it actually was. It wasn't really all that safe where I was. And okay. what I mean by that is, along with realizing what I did enjoy, was mm -hmm. acknowledging what I didn't enjoy. And yeah. there were all kinds of, I mean, the world of accounting, it's technical. So there's all mm -hmm. kinds of technical pronouncements. And I always say they were piling up in my inbox and I wasn't reading them. Okay. And I started realizing I'm not keeping up mm. with new developments. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really all that safe. Sooner or later, I'm going to be obsolete if I continue this way. I think you bring up a great point. Is a lot of people believe that they've been in a job or a company for you know several years, five or ten years. They think that's a safe job. But what you're saying is that the realization is that the company, you either if you don't continue learning, you can be mm -hmm. obsolete, or the company can just let you go at will, mm -hmm. you know, for Absolutely. something. And then as you get older, I would imagine it's harder to find a job, especially if you don't keep up with your skill set. And I can remember a couple of audit engagements that were more complex and challenging that I struggled with late mm -hmm. in my time there and realizing, you know, I, I may not be the absolute best technician in the world anyway. Mm. Mm -hmm. You started realizing that? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, interesting. And, and so then then let me, let me ask then, after you got your MBA, you started talking to recruiters. When did you start transitioning and say that this is one you want to do on your own or did you like have a transition period? I came to Chicago to work for Amico, the big oil company prior to them being well known. taken yep. over by BP. Mm -hmm. And I worked in corporate HR as a recruiter for, okay. all, for all the technical functions in the company. So it was a little bit of a connection. Yeah. I was helping recruit for the accounting and finance people. How many years were you doing there with Amazon? Two years. Two years. Okay. And then? That, then I hit a wall. What do you mean by you hit a wall? It, my, um, my detail focus on order and organization and working in a more individually focused way was starting to not connect well in the corporate culture. I think okay. my vision wasn't wide enough. Mm. I didn't truly understand the importance of networking in a broader sense and building building your brand and your presence in an organization. Okay. 
And, <clears throat> and in all honesty, I hit a, a major career roadblock because things started not going well. I mean, you realize that two years into your career at Amico, you're like, this is not going well? Or like, what kind of signals well, and flags? I realized it, but so did they. Oh, okay. And I actually, I mean, I don't mind admitting this because it's actually a big part of my development in mm. life and as a person and as a professional. I hit a point after close to two years where I got a performance review that said, if performance doesn't improve in three months, we recommend termination. Wow. That was the low point in probably in my entire life. And this is at the two-year mark? Yep. The, wow. And were they correcting that assessment, or do you feel like, I mean, what do you feel like? In, when you well, given what I just said, that I wasn't grasping in my way of operating. I was so focused on more of the detail and getting mm -hmm. little things done, and mm -hmm. I probably didn't have a broad enough vision. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't totally disagree with them. Okay. And in, and in fact, it just, in a way, brought, it, which is why partly why I eventually focused more on the individual side of development than the broad organizational approach anyway. But it kind of gave new light to something that happened right before I left my grad school, which was Indiana. I went in, and I was working in the placement office. I went in to tell the assistant placement director that I was working for on part-time as a grad student, mm -hmm. that I had this offer from Amico that I was going to accept, and you know, it would, would, would move to Chicago. And he stopped in his tracks, and he looked at me with a skeptical look on his face, and he said, Amico, huh? pretty large bureaucratic organization. You're a pretty independent guy from everything I've seen. Are you sure this is a good idea? So you're, you're, was your counselor at Indiana or your mentor at Indiana? I mean, I don't know if I'd quite call him my mentor, but he was in essence my boss in a part-time job that I had. Wow. And he realized already that your, your person that you didn't even realize, I guess. Exactly. He was, he was probably smarter than I was okay. at the time. <laughs> so then why did you choose Amico with a big bureaucratic company and, and, you know, knowing well, what you know now? I felt like if I'm, again, I'm making this change from being an accountant and yes, mm -hmm. I have a degree with HR, but I probably ought to get some organizational experience mm. in HR to put a stamp on it. Okay. I don't regret doing that in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But I've learned a lot about the reasons people make career changes. And many times, all of us can get caught up in what should I do to build on the career I have had rather than what do I really want mm, to do. Interesting. That was a huge switch for me. And it wasn't till two years later when I hit this roadblock, agreed with Amico, this isn't working. They offered me a, a, a career transition coaching package, but no severance. Wow. And I left and went out on my, you know, with about three months worth of living expenses in the bank. Wow. I wasn't married, didn't have a kids or any of that, but still, it was about as scary a time as it could be. Yeah, real quick, go back to what you just said there. Building uh, something on what you want versus what you're experienced with. Can you say that one more time so people understand what, you're, what you meant by that? I will, and I'm going to give you an example to okay. illustrate it. When I was going through the career transition coaching process and doing all kinds of assessments about myself, personality, mm -hmm. skills, mm -hmm. values, interests. These are the, the Myers-Briggs type or DISC and stuff like that. Like yes, but other exercises. In fact, one really valuable exercise I still do with people I coach to this day because I want to pass on what I learned. Yep is a strengths exercise where you list out everything that you believe you're good at on a separate list, everything you like and love doing and reading about, thinking about, look for the places they have something in common, come up with about five to eight of these things, 
We're going to call them strengths, both okay. good at and enjoy, yep. and rank order them in terms of which ones are most important to you to use mm-hmm. in the future, yeah. almost like you're envisioning your ideal workday. Yep. What would it be involved in doing? Yep. I did that exercise. Mm-hmm. I struggled a little bit because I didn't know where it was leading me, and mm-hmm. the coach that was working with me said, come on, you've, done, you've been looking at this a while now. What do you think this adds up to? What do you think this means you want to do? And, mm-hmm. And I said, well, all right, I guess if you're not going to hold me to it, if I had to say today, I guess this really looks like I would be involved in a very small business, a few partners are on my own, where the focus is really learning and development of other people. Wow. And I, the co- word coaching hadn't come into the business world yet at that yeah. point, or I'm sure I would have used it. When you say that. So what year was this happening when you said the coaching hadn't come into the business this world? This was 1980. No, this... Shoot, why am I? Generally, it's okay. Yeah, the 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 late nineteen eighties. Let's just put it that way. Okay, and, and uh, <laughs> let people know how, um, how old were you when you decided to do the career change? And thirty years old. Thirty years old. Okay. And that is not a coincidence. Okay. Explain. Because I believe I I ended up focusing in my early years of my practice on career coaching and career development because of everything I'd gone through and learned. Mm-hmm. I wanted to pass it on, and. 30, age 30 is a major career turning point for most people. Explain why. Because you're, you're out of your 20s. You're starting to think about being older, mm-hmm. and you start to say, so how am I doing in my career? Mm. Am I doing what I want to do? Is I, am I where I thought I would be? Yeah. And if not, I don't want to wait forever, but yet I don't necessarily know how to figure it out. Right. And. So- it was it's a major turning point for a lot of people. I've always known that. Yeah, and I also know like a lot of people who get their MBAs or second education, they're around twenty eight to thirty two. Yep. I think the statistics show. Yep, right, right. about that time period where mm-hmm. you're about ready for a change anyway. Right. And then why did you choose Indiana for your schooling versus any other mm-hmm. college? <coughs> um, I wanted to apply to programs that were that had a good reputation as an MBA. Okay. Again, that, and I don't regret that, but it was, again, part of that thinking. Build your career based on the shoulds mm-hmm. and what will build your profile. Mm-hmm. And I probably underrepresented what I actually cared about until I learned that I had to or it was going to drive me off a cliff. Right. <laughs> but Indiana was one of about four schools I got accepted into. I was accepted. I had really wanted to go to the Southeast because okay. I had had experience there. And I even tried to transfer to Atlanta when I was with Ernst & Young. And they turned it down, and that's when I realized, you know, maybe it's not just about the location. Maybe it's actually the work I'm doing. Mm. But at any rate, I still love the Southeast, so I got into University of North Carolina. I got into University of Virginia. Okay. I applied on a lark to Harvard, Okay. ended up on the wait list, didn't get in. Mm-hmm. But it was a question at a point in time. Mm-hmm. And then I applied, applied to Indiana because, okay. they, I mean, it was, it's a well-known Midwest Mm-hmm. MBA program. And when I went and actually looked at Indiana, the campus, the community in Bloomington, Indiana, what felt like a bigger version of where I had gone to undergrad, okay. which was Miami University of Ohio, Southwest mm. Ohio. Okay. And so there was a comfort factor there. I, you know, I, I would have loved, if I were picking on location, I would have been in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. No yeah. question about it. In, but Indiana had a better program in the the uh, the HR sub subdivision. Because I was about to ask, like you guys have the UNC and you guys up there, but all in the Southeast area. But 
but you decided to decide to go in more Midwest, stayed, colder temperatures. Stayed in the Midwest, but because they, they had not only this a bigger concentration of MBA with a concentration in HR, mm-hmm. but they also had uh, a, a graduate assistantship program. And okay. I knew I had a friend who had, was there actually working in the placement okay. office, and it's like, wow, that would be pretty good to add to my resume. Mm. So I ended up choosing that program, and I, I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. I think it was a good choice. Yep. Um, but as you can imagine, any ch- place you choose to go to school, a lot of your employment opportunities are going to be in, more in that area Focus than they are geography. someplace else okay. in the country. Yep. And I tried to do a search in the southeast, even mm-hmm. from Indiana, and it was not easy to do. Okay. And I was just finding more opportunities to for, action, for interviews in the Midwest, including Chicago, yep. which, of course, you know, I always said— if you're going to drop your career boat in the water and let the current take you at Indiana, it's just as likely to go to Chicago as anywhere else. Chicago, because proximity is close, right. but also a lot of opportunity. Big city. Yep. yep. You got it. So now walk me through, too. Now, you know, two years amico, you get this performance improvement plan or whatever it may be, and then yep. you decide, okay, this is not a good idea. Yep. Three months, you, you decide, I'm going to resign, and they, or they said they fired you, or then, then you got three it months. It wasn't that, but they said if you if – you, Decide you stay, we'll work with you, but you got a big hill to climb here. Okay. And I realized how miserable I really was. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> in fact, I'm going to come back to a memorable quote that I'm, that I'm going to give in, in just a moment. Okay. But they said, we will provide you with a career coaching package. We're not going to give you any severance, but we're gonna, we'll give you that package if you want to take it. Okay. And I eventually decided to take that, which meant going off into the unknown with a little bit of support to try to help figure out what's next. Wow. Okay. And then, so I'm going to ask you then three months and then what did you decide then? Is that, that's a scary time. It was. You know, you're, you're, you're living on savings. You don't know what your next career move is. You don't know what you want to, so how did you, what, how'd you work through that? (laughs) Well, here's, here's, uh, here's the memorable quote. And this brings in a personal element of life. Sure. But I also started dating somebody during that three months in between, which was amazing to me at, at the time mm-hmm. that somebody would actually want to date me because I'm leaving my job. Right. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. But I, you know, we were having a pretty nice time together, except that she kept asking, so what are you going to do next? <laughs> and there came a point where she probably just had asked one too many times, and I kind of snapped, and I said, you know... I don't know what I'm going to do next, but if I have to sleep on park benches to be happy, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, good. That's way to attract a lady. It's like, and I saw the look in her face, and I'm very sure that's why we are not together to this day. Okay. But it probably was one of the most important things I said in my life. Mm. Mm. Okay, so then three months, you're willing to sleep on park benches, and then (laughs) what? Yeah, I'm I'm imagining you become homeless yet. Not quite, exactly. So then what happened? Well, I just was out taking all these assessments, figuring out what I was good at, but mm-hmm. also starting to network. Okay. And in fact, one realization in that, that, <coughs> that strengths exercise I told you about mm-hmm. when you're supposed to list out what you're good at. And you, right. they said, show it to somebody that knows you well, mm-hmm. if possible, both personally and, and business wise. And okay. I had a grad school friend who had gone to work with me at, at Amico and she was a friend. Okay. So I said, would you look over my list of things I'm good at? She said, sure. And she looked it up one side and down the other and said, you're pretty introspective. You know yourself pretty well. Okay, she said, so she would agree with what you did. Except oh. there's one thing I th- see that's missing. Okay, what's that? She said, well, I think, and I've never forgotten the way she said this. She said, I think you have an amazing ability 
to maintain contact with friends and acquaintances over time and distance. Mm. And I listened to that, and I thought, well, I guess that's true. I just do that, but that's a skill? Well, of course, if you step back from it nowadays, what is that skill? Yeah. Networking. Absolutely. And I think it's the single biggest reason I've been successful for 35 years, and I didn't see it in myself. Tell me more about that. Because a lot of people would, I may think networking is a skill, but also something that can help your career. Like mm-hmm. Most people are taking on the technical and maybe the skill set, mm-hmm. but networking. Explain why you're such an advocate for networking and how to get into it. And would you network within your industry or outside your industry? Like, how does that work? I mean, there are various approaches you can take, but I think at the core, having a genuine curiosity about what's out there and a desire to connect with people, being willing to share about yourself, ask questions about somebody else, Mm -hmm. and see where something might lead you. And this is where it was helpful for me to have both a left brain and a right brain makeup, because mm-hmm. the left brain would allow me to organize my networking efforts and make sure who was, you know, who's I'm, who am I going to reach out to, and when's the last time I've talked to them? Is it time to go contact somebody again? And keeping, excuse me, keeping track of that stuff. But the right brain is thinking, you know, I don't know exactly where this might lead. I'm going to ask some questions and find out what they do. Ask some questions about possibilities tell them about what I know about myself, mm-hmm. try to be as open as possible, and don't know where it's going to go. And I'll admit, to that my networking has always focused on the power of connection. Okay. I, you know, fortunately, I think I learned from my Amico experience when, and when I went through that exercise of strengths and, the, and I said to the coach, I think I might want to work on my own. Mm-hmm. And he said, whoa, that's a big difference from all these big organizations you've been in. Right. That's a huge change. Right. He said, I think maybe there might be something else going on. I think you might want to be doing a little bit of what your father did. Okay. It's like, oh, my God, I never thought about that. My dad was a small-town doctor back in my hometown in Ohio. Okay. He had his own business. He ran his own hours. He always was available for kids' sports games, et cetera. Okay, interesting. And so, that probably had a big impact that I hadn't realized. Interesting. So it was sort of a lifestyle impact. But uh, let's see. I, and I got off track a little bit where I was going. Hmm. Three months off, you're thinking. Yeah. I, anyway, I, what, I, what I've always done with networking approach is is be willing to meet with people that are loosely in the field that I'm in. Okay. But I don't know exactly what the bottom line concrete value will be or where it will lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, I could say that's what you and I did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I liked your personal style. I mm-hmm. said, I'm going to get together and talk with this guy. I don't know where it's going to lead. And what I appreciate about you is that you're willing to take the risk, even though mm-hmm. into the unknown. Most people are looking for maybe a solid, like, right. hey, this person can help me transactional. Right. They have the right. skill set or relationship yep. I want. Got it. But you, because we don't even actually have, like, me, you know, whatever it may be, the connection, but you're willing to take that risk and say, you know what? I don't know yeah. where this is going to lead, but I'm going to continue to pursue the relationship, make a connection, and talk about this. Yep. Which I appreciate. I do, I do believe that's a skill set and a value system that mm-hmm. a lot of people, not a lot of people mm-hmm. don't have, especially in this modern times where people are in hybrid working who don't right. have physical offices to meet and build that For connection sure. really hard. What do you recommend? Well, before we go into that, so tell me about like, so you three months, how did you get into your own business then? What did you, you know, you, you got? Sure. Yeah, you're right. There's a couple steps missing sure. there. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't just happen magically. Right. Um, 
I used the networking approach to be out talking to various people in the field. Mm -hmm. And one one introduction that I got from uh, you know the, a woman who was a good friend of one of my work colleagues at Amico, and she was a woman who had her own business in the field. She was a, a psychotherapist, but also a career coach. And just in talking to her, she asked me if I would. She taught a class at Her what was then called Harold Washington College, mm -hmm. now the City Colleges. Yeah, and um, on and, and it was a class on career planning for the people that worked at the university. Okay. And she said, "Would you come in and talk about your career in recruiting at Amico, even though I know you're leaving, and you know why you left, and you know any anything you want to say about where you're going?" And I didn't know where that was yet, mm -hmm. but I said, "Sure, I'll do it." And I went in. She wasn't going to pay me anything, and I did my preparation. I, it turns out I have pretty good presentation skills, and I went in and gave that talk. And at the end of it, she said, "I think you might have something." She said, you have some potential in this field. She said, I wonder if you might be interested in meeting others that I know that are in the career coaching arena. I said, that's a really nice offer. God was coming out of a career coaching firm environment, but I couldn't work for them because right. I was their client. Right. But she introduced me to a guy that was with one of the other big career transition firms. Okay. I went in for a meeting with him, and it just clicked, and it just connected. And he said at, at the time... It so happens we're getting ready to open up a big career center to, to handle uh, employees of craft that are being downsized, wow. 300, 300 people. And right now, we don't have anybody to manage it. Interesting. Would you be interested? And it's like, oh, my God, that's an opportunity. So through your networking, through this presentation, as one by step by step, not knowing where it would lead, it offered you an opportunity to do a career center management center for... Yep. The school? No, not no. It was it was a, a corporate outplacement center. It would wow. be called today. Three hundred employees of Kraft being let go. Wow. And I was I was thirty years old. Wow. I had a little bit. I had I actually did a little bit of training and coaching for this firm prior to that for center opening up. But okay. I'd done just enough that they liked what they saw, and then they gave me this opportunity, and it was an incredible experience. And mm -hmm. even that, you know, was um, I met a lot of people that were working there, and then. Six months in, and it was only supposed to be six months, the firm went bankrupt. Okay. I got stiffed on the only bill in my 35 years that I didn't get paid, 4000 bucks or so back then, which was a lot of money for that a is, young guy. Yeah. And that was a you know, borderline disaster. But everybody that worked for this firm then left, fanned out, went to other places in Chicago. And because I was good at staying in touch, getting in touch, keeping in touch... A lot of my contacts built right from there. Interesting. Into other things. Wow. So even something that could be so low at a low point, <clears throat> maybe a depressive point, because you continue doing good work and maintaining contacts, led actually a, a, a spider web, I guess. An expansion of contacts elsewhere, which okay. I, again, never, never really understood. So that was one of two major directions that my, my new consulting practice started taking was working in this career coaching arena because i will say that when i went through the career coaching process myself mm -hmm. and leaving amico i realized you know what i didn't really know this process was out there mm. i'd actually like to turn around and do this for other people interesting it was a realization and so have you always had then your own individual consulting practice as you went into this? And when yes. did you decide, like, this is something I want to do and I can make it? Because, you know, as you go by yourself, sometimes you're like, uh, this might not work out. I might have right. to go to another company. When so did you decide, like, this is going to happen? It took me a year and a half. year and a half? 
Um, up until that point, I was doing contract work assignments for like this career center and mm -hmm. other other short stints with the firm like that. And one other avenue that I pursued, which again kind of mirrors the radically different mix of things I've always done. But the other side of my practice, I went back when I was networking, leaving Amico, I went back to see one of my former accounting professors at Miami of Ohio, where mm -hmm. I went to undergrad, because he had been a help to me and good enough, a recommendation to go off to grad school. My youngest brother was there. I went down to, for a visit and said, I'm going to go see my old professor. And I part of the reason I did that a, I'm just, I, I like doing, looking people up and staying in touch, as I said. But mm -hmm. I remembered that when I was in college and was in his accounting classes, he used to take time off to go out and do some sort of training for CPA firms. Okay. And I was curious about that. I went back to see him and I said, I remember you had this, some sort of a training firm that you would leave class to go do. And all of my assessment tells me that I might actually be good at training. Okay. I'm trying to decide what to do with that. I'm leaving Amico. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking about training. And I just wonder, what does it take to get into the field? What do you think it requires to be good at this? And one thing led to another. And before that conversation was done, he said, you know, we actually use contract trainers in this business. We train local and regional CPA firms all across the country. You were one of these people. That might be a, a good bridge. Would you like to try out delivering some training? Wow, okay. And I thought about it for a month, came back to him and said, I'm interested, but I feel rusty. Mm -hmm. I was training young auditors. Sure. I feel rusty. And he said, don't worry. We've got this big manual that will okay. tell you when to blink and when to breathe in the classroom sure. as long as you go watch somebody else do it first. Okay. I remember you. You were a good student. You will pick this up. Okay. So I took a, a little bit of a risk there, mm -hmm. observed a week, and then went to deliver a program. And I'll always remember it was at the University of Maryland in the summer of 1988. Mm -hmm. And I delivered a whole week of training following the manual, mm -hmm. and something about it just clicked. And oh. I walked out at the end of that week and said, wow, this is it. Okay. So so some of this, you have your own consulting practice, but you also have contract work. Like, When did it come to a point where like this is... I know I'm going to make it now. So I feel confident. The, the mix of yeah. doing this training for CPA firms mm -hmm. and this other avenue of career coaching mm -hmm. in the outplacement field, both of which I had had some experience with. And that's not, you don't want to forget that, bridging from something you have some experience with yep. into something a little bit new. I often build that into my coaching. That's others. huge. Wise to look for those opportunities. Yeah. But I built the practice on those two things. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it actually was that first fall of doing some of these training programs from the CPA firms. And I sat back and did a little math. And what I just earned from a week of training delivery, if I did two weeks of work a month at that rate, mm -hmm. I would make what I was making in corporate HR where I was miserable. Wow. It's like, wow, what have I been missing here? Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and I said, I realize I'm going to have to continue doing some business development. I got to come up with a way of doing it because right. there's no guarantee that the business is going to be there. So how did you know then you said this is, you know, besides that, the math, you said this is going to be. So like adding up that work. Yep. And then I had this six month experience of running this career center mm -hmm. at the end of that. And I knew I had this other work and I was starting to make a few other connections that were willing to talk to me about other training and and. Uh, and, and they, they weren't using the word coaching back sure. then, but okay. <clears throat> I felt confident enough that, and I liked the idea of 
doing a variety of things, staying in touch with a variety of people, and bringing in enough business. And my accounting side came back in to help me behind the scenes because mm-hmm. I created a monthly budget. What sure. does it cost me to live? Mm-hmm. And what do I need to do in billings to exceed that? Makes sense. And then I could use that as my barometer. I've used it for 35 years. Makes sense. What's my cost structure? What do yep. I need to bill? Mm-hmm. And as long as I'm billing that, occasionally a month I'm two, I might be lower, but then some months I'll be higher. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of keeping track of the reins on the whole thing. Uh, as long as I can do it that way, it actually could work. And I, and I said, I finally have the confidence to say, this is a consulting practice. Nice. And as I jokingly say to people, I stayed up all night to come up with the name Garrett Consulting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's quite <laughs> different. Well, so then let me ask this question then. So you've been doing this yeah. for 30, 35 years. Mm-hmm. You've worked on your own, own your own business. What, why have you always decided to work on your own versus expanding and scaling and hiring that's other people? That's a very good question. And I've debated that with myself a lot over okay. the years. <clears throat> and there have been times when things have gotten lean mm-hmm. and difficult that I even d- toyed with, should I go back in, in-house? So this process, even though you felt like you could make even a year, two years, three years, five years in, still has some downs where you're like, oh, shoot, no this question. is not going to... No question. Okay. Because there's, there's no guarantees. And I think everybody in their own practice goes through some ups and downs. So <clears throat> there's, there's no one right answer there. One of the ways I kept coming back to what, what is my psyche? What do I most enjoy? How do I most enjoy operating? And can I, through my own creative efforts, build enough to make this work? Okay. And I kept coming back to that being a yes answer. But I will tell you one way of operating that has helped over the years is a blend of completely independently secured consulting projects on my own through my own networking and I land it and mm-hmm. I build it and I sell it and deliver it, etc. But also realizing I am not the world's most natural salesperson. Okay. Never have been. So what I realized is I might need a little help in this process. And I in as you could tell from what I've already said my first couple of projects, the public accounting training, mm-hmm. the career coaching center management, those were actually on a contract basis for another organization that would build the, their clients and then pay me a subcontract. Sure. Right. And I realized that if, you know, that's actually a pretty good way of working because you get exposed to the way a firm does things. You mm-hmm. get to use some of their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. You don't have to create everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some colleagues to do a few things with, which was kind of nice at times, not yeah. being completely on your own. And they're doing the front-end marketing and sales right. and bringing me into the project. Sure. As long as I can do good work, demonstrate trust to them, mm-hmm. and build a good relationship with them, having a blend of some work that comes that way mm-hmm. and other work that I completely land on my own, which is more lucrative because it's on a subcontract basis. You have to give up some money because they did the selling and marketing. Right. So the rates are lower, but if they're coming to me with business and it's I constant. can say yes, yep. and it's not always constant, which is, of course, the risk factor, sure. but a blending, some of it on a subcontract basis and some on my own independent efforts and bringing in a project directly at higher margins, mm-hmm. that combination has really been good over you the survive. years. Because that's very interesting. Some of the business advice people give nowadays is talking about niching down, specific focus mm-hmm. on one specific area, but it sounds like you gave yourself a blend of mm-hmm. diversification to allow you to survive. Is that something you still recommend or is that something you would have done differently if you had to go back? <coughs> I think in general... I mean, I, I feel good about 
because it match has matched my value system to have a variety of areas of focus. Yeah. Might it have cost me a bit in terms of the financial side of things to not focus and build one niche? Perhaps. Okay. But we all have to make value decisions in life. Right. And you know, I feel I have felt good with the the mix of coaching and assessment work on the one hand and training in the public accounting industry, which I have maintained to this day, by the way, that first, that little training company, my former professor, they are one of my biggest clients today, Mm -hmm. 35 years later. It's amazing. It's a great connection. (laughs) Also a testament to the good work that you do. They continue to give you work, right? Yeah. In fact, I've moved up to the point where I'm the one that they come to now to help design and revise the leadership training that they offer. Amazing. Sticking with one uh, project and continue to show your value over time. So, yeah, there are times definitely that I would like to be more fully utilized. You definitely have some downtime when you're own, in your own business. And there sure. are times when that's a little uncomfortable, but I'm okay with the freedom that comes with that. And it gives me creative license to get out and talk to new people that I haven't met before. Yeah, amazing. And I want to go back to a question I was going to ask you before. Yeah. Like, you know, now in this this hybrid world, you know, a lot of the connections people have made, I've, I've heard from an older generation, like the mentorship came from knowing people at the office. But now that people are going hybrid or fully remote, what is the advice you give people in terms of trying to like either uh, develop or maybe the younger gener- generations like millennials and Generation X, like what is that? How do you see this new work style either staying the same or changing? And how does it work in terms of networking and development? Well, it probably won't surprise you just given everything I've said that I really believe in in in-person networking when you can pull it off. Okay. And that means you have to get creative. Mm -hmm. And it's real easy to sit back in your office and not set up meetings with people. And even if you do, have a quick Zoom conversation and then you're done. Mm -hmm. But... I think it's important to fight back against that. And I think one of the things that can make anybody stand out is if, it, if they make it clear that they are open to operating that way remotely, mm-hmm. but that they really want to get together to get to know somebody in person, and they're willing to go within reason a little out of their way to do it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what I'm doing today with you. It was yep. an hour drive to get here. Yep. Doesn't bother me in the least. No, I appreciate that. And I think this is what you advocate for is if you can, in-person meetings to connect or at least be intentional mm-hmm. if you decide to do Zoom meetings or, yep. or online meetings. And, and I think having a blend. I mean, once you form a relationship, even in my coaching engagements, I usually say I would prefer to meet in person mm-hmm. at least for a while. Okay. And then once we get up and running and comfortable with each other, yeah, the convenience factor is hard to argue with yeah. Zoom once yep. in a while. And so you're willing to even, you know, you said driving out, but you even to mm-hmm. fly to other places to meet people in person, or is that something based on? I projects? mean, I do, but admittedly, you know, the flying with all the expense that comes with it, that would be if the if the client is willing to reimburse travel expense. Right. Yeah. No, interesting. So there's a lot of information here in terms of being a solopreneur, entrepreneur, owning your own business consulting. Did you say why you decided not to hire on to other people? Or you uh, felt like you felt like staying with under subcontracting was also better for your benefit? You know, that's probably something that I mean, if I'm really being honest, I would second guess myself on for all these years. Sure. Because I at my heart, I'm not really a big risk taker. I'm okay. a calculated risk taker. Sure. And the comfort of operating independently, having my arms around things has been so high mm-hmm. that I really didn't want the obligation and responsibility of having to develop the business to cover the compensation of people working for me. Right. Sure. 
No, and it's a good question because a lot of people have decided that. Mm-hmm. I know that many businesses totally fail at scale when they try to grow too mm-hmm. big, right? And you mm-hmm. see a little, even recently in the last, we're, ta- we're talking in 2023 and end of 2023, but all the tech layoffs are because of companies who hire too fast and too large. And then also when things went down, are laying off of tons of thousands of people. And that's a I major mean, pressure. I, you know, do I have the <clears throat> retirement nest egg that some of my colleagues that worked inside an organization for all those years have? No, mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. But there's a lot of, a lot of trade-offs around. Right. You have a lot of freedom, right? Opportunity. Yep. No, interesting. Now, I'm going to shift a little bit uh, gears to you know, your personal life. Now, yeah. I understand something interesting about you is mm-hmm. that you, you adopted both your kids. I is did. that correct? What led you to decide to adopt kids and kind of your personal life and how that, that formulated okay. going on business? So we'll switch gears here. <laughs> well, yeah, we're about yeah we're about like a 45-minute right there. So okay. we can switch gears no, unless you want to continue talking more. No, we're going to fine. This is good. Whatever feels interesting for you and your audiences. Anybody, so, anything. Whatever yeah. is comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I got married late, I mean, in my late 30s, and, <coughs> you know, it just so happened that the fertility wasn't there between okay. my wife and me, mm-hmm. and we, I remember a really hard conversation, to what extent do we throw away our life savings to in vitro fertilization, because mm. it would, felt like that was almost what we had to do wow. okay. in order to see if there was a way, Yeah. and finally decided, you know what, it's not worth doing that. There's okay. this other thing called adoption. Okay. And both of us, values-wise, were very in line with it mm-hmm. and thought it was a great thing. And in fact, for me, almost, in a, in a way, almost even more appealing mm. to help an existing kid in the world mm-hmm. than you know, having to necessarily you know, pr- procreate in my own image. Sure, sure. So, and fortunately, she felt that way, too. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole process to go through to figure out who do we work with to help pull this off? And do we, as it turned out, the big decision of do we de- uh, adopt domestically somebody in the U.S. Okay. versus maybe a kid that comes from another country? Mm-hmm. And, you know, given my nature, it probably wouldn't have been the first thing that I would have thought of going to another country because that was a little outside the country. The, so you decided to adopt zone. outside a country? Well, we ended up deciding that. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have been the first place I would have gone, but sure. there were two things that influenced that. One is <laughs> that the adoption agencies actually don't want you to be focusing on both domestic and international because the processes are so different. Okay. They said, you've got to make a decision one way or the other. Mm. And I think, I think if I'm really being honest about the factors, the idea of having a little more distance, because there were some horror stories that have been in the news about domestic a, you know, birth parents coming back and wanting their kids back sure. after you get yeah. partway into the process. Mm-hmm. And so I think we were not wanting to have that happen. Okay. And there was a second experience that really influenced my willingness. And you know, I think my wife at the time uh, was, um, you know, she was, she had done some traveling and was a little more comfortable than I was, except that I had had an experience in 1990, um, we haven't talked about this element of things at all, but I've always had a p- pretty active faith life and have been involved in a church. And the church that I was involved in in 1990 uh, went on a mission trip, of which I was one of 18 people, to Nicaragua. Okay. At the fall of the, right about the time the Sandinista government was falling. Interesting. And it was an amazing time in, mm. in history. Yep. And it, I was completely out of my comfort zone. Mm. And yet, <clears throat> turned out to be one of the best experiences of my whole life. 
maybe an imprint in your, in your life where you decide that and it played I, a factor into your adoption. Yeah, I did because I, I was still, I mean, I came back from that and all the things I learned were just incredible. It changed my politics, it changed my worldview. Mm. But I remember seeing groups of kids running around with their jet black hair and their shiny dark eyes. Mm-hmm. Thinking how cool that is. And it, that stuck with me. Ten years later, when we weren't able to have kids ourselves and mm-hmm. we're in the adoption mode, mm-hmm. and they said, you got to decide between domestic and international. Mm-hmm. All right, well, what are the international choices? I mean, they said, you, you, in theory, you could go a lot of places, but if, if what one of the things you want is a little bit more certainty in the process, mm-hmm. there's about four countries that are top of the, top of the list of the big adoptions into the U.S. where we have more defined processes, and that was Russia, China, Guatemala, and I think it was South Korea at the time. Okay. And immediately when I heard Guatemala. That's what you went for. So- I, I said to my wife at the time, would you be okay? I feel like that's calling me. Wow. She said, I've always liked the Hispanic culture as well. Okay. They said, you want to go to a culture where your, your surrounding relatives won't, if possible, will we'll accept them. Etc. as much as possible. Yep. So the kid doesn't face resistance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we started going down the path of looking at Guatemala and ended up going that way. And it was, I'm so glad we did. I mean, mm. that was two adoptions from both Guatemala, from, six from Guatemala. months of age, two okay. years apart. Okay. Wow. And there was a whole lot that went into that, traveling into that country and oh, dealing wow. with everything down there and traveling yeah. the country to learn about the history and the culture yeah. and everything that went with it. In that process, how long did it take to adopt? I've always said that there's a little bit of humor, God's humor in this, but once we turned in an application, in both cases, nine months. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's wow. like, maybe that's just what this process is. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and for both of them then, you said but they're six months apart? You decided two you went two to... years apart. They were both six months of age when we brought okay. them home, but two years apart. Two years apart when you adopted both of them is what you're Correct. saying? Correct. Okay. Correct. What made you decide after one, you said we wanted a second one, you always felt like you wanted two then? or Always from the beginning mm-hmm. wanted whoever we got first to have a, a pal. Okay, good. So, and, and we wanted a mix of genders if we could. Okay. So we said we'll leave it open the first time around. Whatever comes to us we'll take, and then we'll we'll request the other gender for the second time around. Awesome. No, and that ended up working out. No, also in testament to your heart and your idea of mentorship and also being able to adopt and you know, in the face of any sort of adversity, you're able to be flexible in doing that. And you mentioned now how, you know, faith in terms of like, you're very involved in the church. How much has faith, have you always been a religious person in faith from the <coughs> beginning, or is that something that you turned to as you got older? Both. I mean, I grew up in a pretty faith-oriented house, you know, fairly traditional Protestant Christian okay. house, and was quite involved all the way through high school with a with a church youth group and mm-hmm. went on a couple a couple work trips and that kind of thing. It was it was a good experience. But like a lot of people in their 20s, I drifted a bit when I went off, you know, went off to work and then sure. went off to grad school sure. and and plus I think there's something that happens where you kind of have to end up choosing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, you might need to separate from what you grew up with a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, as I was getting into my late 20s and was going through everything I was going through career-wise and was leaving Amico in this difficult situation. Mm. It was a faith tester. Okay. It's like, wow, how do I 
feel good about myself in this situation. What do I turn to? Yeah. So you're saying in that three month period that you decided to turn closer to faith too, and I actually did. renewed your faith too. I got more involved in a Chicago church. Okay. And um, <clears throat> and and started really liking the feel of that, and mm. met a young adult group, and with a with a minister who was the one who eventually put this Nicaragua trip together, and uh, wouldn't let me off the hook without going on this trip. Okay. Yeah. And so now that you, when you got to closer your faith, what did you end up deciding? Because you said you grew up Protestant, but then you decided to go more uh, into a different. Faith, I didn't. Right? No, I didn't really change. But I, you know, when I realized when I moved to Chicago after grad school, I said I think it's time to find a church home. Yep. And I came in thinking I I want to look within the broader mainstream Protestant churches. Okay. I, that that meant I wasn't open to anything, mm-hmm. but there's a number of. Protestant denominations that felt close enough that I thought I'd be willing to at least try and see what felt right. So, I mean, I I don't know if your listeners will even care, but I grew up in a Presbyterian church yeah. back in Ohio, yeah. and that certainly was one I would consider, but there were some broader ones, and I ended up finding the first Methodist church of Chicago. Okay. You know, different, mm-hmm. but not completely. Okay. And had an amazing experience there for 30 years in a very diverse downtown urban church in Chicago. Yeah. So why did you decide a Methodist church versus another Presbyterian church? Was it uh, based on the church or location? It was. It was based on the particular place. Okay. Because I actually did look at, there's a huge Presbyterian church in downtown Chicago called Mm -hmm. Fourth Presbyterian. It's Mm -hmm. right on North Michigan Avenue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very well known. Yeah. Very, very well too. I actually went there for a few months. Okay, and I, you know, I liked it, mm-hmm. but something about you know somebody in my building told me about First United Methodist right down in the middle of the loop, and I went in there and just and this is probably what everybody finds. You know, you find something about the atmosphere that just clicks or connects, and it right. was approachable, down to earth, yet also. It was, you know, formal enough that it felt like it had some good structure to it and a good number of people going there. And <coughs> so, I mean, I, I got involved and ended up joining the young adult group there, mm-hmm. which really became huge. And then this Nicaragua trip really yep. brought things together. And even though I'm, you know, the woman that I ended up marrying was not from the church, she came, tried it out, loved it, okay. said, I think I want to join. I said, mm-hmm. oh, okay and this is the right person for me to be with. Okay. And we got married there. Our nice. kids were baptized there. Wow. So I was a member there for 30 years. 30 years. So then um, how has your faith played in your decision in your personal life and kind of the things that you take on? Is it, or has it? Like, what? How has that come, come into your, not just adoption, but also like your everyday decisions? Like what do you, as you get older, is that something that you get more involved in or is that something that you're stronger in or maybe you kind of got weighed and ebbed and flow? Like how has your faith journey been? course everybody's different on this so all i can do is give you my journey of course but i would say that my ever since i made that connection in that church faith has been a big part of life mm. and um but i also know that faith is not necessarily dependent on just one church and i didn't mention this yet although i said my wife at the time we ended up not making it okay so went through a divorce about three years ago, and mm. when we were leading up to that, it was just prior to that that my wife had not wanted to continue going to this church. My kids were teenagers and weren't wanting to go anywhere. Mm. I, it was down to me. I was the last one. There were mm. some things that happened in that church leadership-wise okay. that were not quite right, I mm. thought, and I finally decided, you know what? I think I need a new start. Okay. It's not going to 
changed my faith overall, but where I practice it. And I went out and started doing a search for other places to go during this period of time where I was going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I found I found one church that I liked for a period of time uh, until discovering that they actually were not uh, LGBTQ friendly, mm-hmm. which had become a value of mine. I told you my politics changed with my trip to Nicaragua and, mm-hmm. and over the coming years and living in Chicago and in a focus on diversity and caring about inclusion. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, when I found that this church was just not able to support that side of things, I said, I, I can't stay here. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing a, a long search for another church and found the one that I'm in now. It's called mm-hmm. United Church of Christ. It's in Lincoln Park, okay. which is probably 20 minutes away from where I live. Mm-hmm. And love the inclusive feel, mm-hmm. um, the wide variety of social justice programs they have, but also other social opportunities. It's a good energy church, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy I've been there now, going coming up on two years. On two years? You individually going there on your own, right? I am, correct. Yeah. And my, my daughter, who has just moved back to Chicago from Florida, mm-hmm. um, has decided she wants to get back into the church okay. and wants to start coming with me and is beginning to go. Mm. Which yeah. is cool. I know, you like, you know, in the faith aspect in terms of divorcing, you you had brought it up. Is that and we can mention it or not? It's like, how did that play into the, the decision to divorce? Because knowing you in organizational development or human resources, all you know about like career development and self awareness and behavior tests, like how did that all form into like the the decision after <coughs> twenty four years? Twenty years, yeah, that's a long time. It is. Well, you know, you're asking you're asking questions that are pretty good probing questions, and I'm willing to answer them, but it dem- inv- involves acknowledging some things. Mm. And, you know, part of that whole <clears throat> struggle for me of am I part of an organization or am I independent, mm-hmm. I think impacted my whole journey to even getting married. Mm. I, you know, I, I mentioned it was late 30s right. for me, and I struggled a long time with could I just dedicate to one person? Mm. And did I even want to have kids? Because all that stuff was, you know, would kind of put you into, you could look at it as tying you down, mm-hmm. and it was scary. Yeah. I also didn't love being alone either. Mm. So um, in my late 30s, I met met this woman at a party, and she was at kind of at the same place of last one in her family to get married, as mm-hmm. I was, even though I'm the oldest of the kids. Mm. <clears throat> and... I think the timing was right for us. There were some small town values we both had in common, mm-hmm. and she was kind of ready, and I was, you know, thinking I should be ready because mm. I'm in my late thirties. Sure. And I was having people say, "Are you sure you're not gay?" Mm. Which was hard to hear. Sure. Because I've got just enough of a conventional side of me that I don't like having to face questions like that. And this is in the 80s, right? So this is not even as open as it is now. For sure. Right. So this is in the 80s. You got that right. So, you know, I ended up, and when she said she wanted to join my church, it's like, wow, I think this is the right person. I think in hindsight, in all honesty, communication styles were so radically different between us. Mm. It probably never would have worked. And Mm. I just... I was so into, I need, I need to get married. I need to settle down. Here's someone right. at the same stage of life. She's ready. Yeah. Similar, similar, you know, uh, she was willing to join the church. She's from a small town. Sure. But down at the core of connecting, I don't think we ever had it. Mm, 24 years. Yep. And wow. we made it work. Yeah. I mean, we became, what I've told my kids, we became business partners. Okay. 
we learn how to work with each other. We mm-hmm. learn how to get things done, make decisions. Mm-hmm. And we cared about our kids a lot. Mm-hmm. So we would try to make things as good as possible. <coughs> but we just didn't have all that much fun doing things with oh. each other together. Wow. And you found that out of 24 years, you guys decided like, this is not I mean, good. I think we knew it from the beginning, but I've always been, it's something I've had to learn since then, that mm. doing something out of obligation mm-hmm. and responsibility is not enough. Mm. Interesting. So where are you on now on your faith journey? You said you've joined a new church, you got a new start. Um, I'm just, I mean, I'm a, a year and a half to two years into this new church. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm involved in a couple committees. I'm okay. coordinating the Tuesday night pickleball outing every week. I mean, that's pretty fast. So after a year, a year and a half, you're already getting involved in committees and being involved in church. Yeah, it's that... always been my nature. Mm-hmm. If I find an organization that I like, I'll get involved in something. No. So then what would you be advice for somebody? If you had to do it all over your, your 30-year-old Steve, you know, late in 30s, looking to get married, what would you give that advice to him if you got to do it all over again? Boy, you know, I don't know that I can even come up with what my advice mm-hmm. was because mm-hmm. I've had to find a way to forgive myself for marrying somebody that didn't end up being an ultimate good match. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it was so confusing to me at the time as to what even is a good match. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I had a way to figure it out then. Mm-hmm. Maybe going through it, I've ended up, I have two kids out of it that are sure. important to me in life. Mm-hmm. And my ex-wife and I actually get along pretty well now. Okay. We're able to relate and mm-hmm. figure out how to support these two kids of ours. Mm-hmm. You know, and would I like to be in another long-term relationship? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. I've been out dating and I've got somebody I'm dating with eight months right now. But, you know, it's it's nice. It's not for sure that it's long-term, but mm-hmm. it's not a bad overall combination of life factors. But yeah. I've never been able to answer how would I have done it differently because right. it was so confusing for me at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I knew how to make a good decision sure. back then. Sure. <clears throat> and then if you could, like, you know, the 24, do you think if, if you had to do it all over again in terms of the marriage, would it have worked out at all or would you have to change? Maybe? Or ultimately you thought there's just no way that anybody would be able to change with each other, especially after 24 years and finding out that communication. Could, could you ask that again? Would you have done anything different in your 24? Do you think you could have made it work out if you had decided some uh, things to change? Uh, that's a very good question. I, I want to say no. I mean, what in all honesty, what I had decided was this isn't a great match between mm-hmm. us, but I've got these two kids. Mm-hmm. I've got my own business. Yeah. I am going to stick with this and make it work. Sure. Yeah, and she came to a different conclusion. Okay, that she was not willing to do that. Mm. Which, in hindsight, I'm actually thankful she did. Okay, because I I've always had a hard time of letting things go and leaving. Yeah. at times. Yeah, and I think in this case it was the best decision. And I'm glad we didn't do it earlier, so that it was right in the middle of their teenage years. We sure. made it through some really tough times. You know, the adoption story is not all. No, roses. it's very difficult. No, it's very difficult. Not all roses, yeah. and the people, kids have attachment issues, mm-hmm. that, and all kinds of behavioral challenges come out of that. Mm-hmm. And I, that tested us hugely to make it through all of that. Yeah. I mean, coming out of it, you guys got to go through like a crucible. And interesting right. that your relationship were was not maybe no matter what the goals are and obligations are, there has to become a point where one and two. You know, husband and wife has to make a genuine connection with each other, mm-hmm. despite yep. external factors. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. So, 
I'm kind of looking for that more genuine connection now. Yeah. Even no matter what form it takes, I may never get married again, which is not a big deal mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, being with somebody that I feel really good and compatible with is. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, knowing your background and also what you do in coaching, there's a lot of like, you're, I feel like you're a leg of other people who have, don't have, who haven't learned the human resources behavior assessments on this side of it. So do you think that anything that could have come into play in terms of your marriage or that you kept that separate? Oh, no, it, it should have. In yeah. fact, there was one of the assessments I use all the time mm-hmm. that, that I asked my then, you know, the woman I was dating and thinking about getting engaged to, would she be open to taking it? Because mm-hmm. I was curious how sure. similar or different we would be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we sat in a room with a consultant who interpreted the results on it. And I still remember when that consultant interpreted my, you know, my almost fiance's results, and I knew what mine were already. Mm-hmm. I remember a cold sweat going down the back of my neck, like, "Oh my God, this is so different. Mm. Is this really a good idea?" Mm. But I was so far into this relationship at this point that I couldn't find a way to make it important enough to turn it around and not do it anyway. Which, in hindsight, probably I might have done that differently. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things you're bringing up here, not only knowing yourself, but also knowing the other person, but also being willing to take the courage to say, hey, this is not going to work out right. versus just obligations. Like, you know what? Sunk cost. You know, we've already done all this relationship <clears throat> dating. Don't want to lose that. But I think right. there's got to be an uh, aspect of saying, hey, maybe this is not. We have a cost. Exactly. Here. That's probably the single biggest question I would have for myself is mm. it, to do that differently. You yeah. know, it's, of course, hard to say that nowadays because that would mean I don't have the two kids that sure. I have. Sure. But apart from that, of course, the right. kids and the adoption, right. this one's different. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. No, that's very interesting, Steve. And Steve, I just, uh, I, we're coming up in an hour already. Okay. You know, so, um, but, you know, I love this conversation. Good. I, th- I thank you so much for thank just you. opening up about your business, being a solopreneur, entrepreneur, and also just personal life and faith, how it plays doing adoption, everything you're going through. Uh, it's a lot. And so I hope that we can continue the conversation and hopefully that uh, people, listeners who's listening to this got something out of it. Uh, I'm sure they did. I know I have. And, uh, you know, as we continue to talk about this, maybe there's um, there's me more opportunities to, to lead and also uh learn about the industry and also business as well. Happy to help you out in any way that makes sense. You have a nice interviewing style. It was a good flow between us, I think. Steve, I appreciate that. And also, you, you speak very well, very eloquently as well. So I appreciate that. You were able to come all drive all the way out, an hour away from the city <laughs> to come here at my home, the studio, quote unquote, the studio, uh, to be able to talk like this. So I appreciate Happy that. Happy to do it. Thanks, Steve. All right, we'll talk to all you. All right. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I just want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I also want to give you contact information to Steve Garrett. If anybody wants to reach him, his email is steve.garrett, G-A-R-R-E-W-T, at Garrett Consulting. Or you can look him up on the website. is www.garrettconsulting.us. So you check him out in the description. I want to thank Steve Garrett again for coming out here and giving us and sharing his knowledge and his experiences. All right, until next time, thank you.